it was a quantum mania this year as Stephen Kwan took a quantum leap into the atmosphere. And I'm done with the Kwan puns, at least for now. We're going to talk about Stephen Kwan in left field on today's episode of Locked On Guardians. You are Locked On Guardians, your daily podcast on the Cleveland Guardians, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. I want to take a second and thank you for making Lockdown Guardians your first listen today and every day, wherever it is you get podcasts. And also, I would like to introduce myself. It's always when I got three things to do, I can start to lose my train of thought. Uh, my name is Jeff Ellis. I am one of the co hosts of Lockdown Guardians. Before that, I was a lead draft and prospect analyst at Scout and 24 7, as well as a myriad of Cleveland sports blogs. It's here's the past, Justin. I guess wrong. There we go. Uh, yeah, I'll go the other way. Uh, I got it. I'm Justin Latta, uh, currently the managing editor of Guardians Baseball Insider, uh, pre also freelancing at the News Herald and the Morning Journal up here in Cleveland. And previously at, I don't know, all the Cleveland baseball blogs, Burning River Baseball is pronounced Lajoy, fan-sided. Um, probably forgetting one. I've, I've been on, I've been at them all. I'm a career journeyman. You are a Johnny Damon type. Uh, right? that, I would take that. I would take many that. teams, you know, he's, I mean, I, I, we think about him at peak uh, being, you know, quite the good player but he he was uh have bat will travel that's for sure uh so let's let's start we've been doing this kind of past present and future i almost feel like we should wait until december just with the natural like you know a christmas carol tie-in of uh the, the ghosts of past present and future but we're doing it for this position uh and let's be honest the ghosts of player development with the cleveland guardians in the outfield is something you know if you follow the show for any length of time you've listened to me I've talked about since Manny Ramirez left, the number one outfielder that this team has drafted. I'm, I'm sorry, since they drafted Ramirez, not since he left, just since he was drafted. Number one draft enveloped outfielder by baseball reference war is Luke Scott, who never played in the majors of Cleveland. Ryan Church, who never played in the majors of Cleveland. Joe Nunley. Yep, he's three. Uh, if you count Joe Inglet, because he was an outfielder at Nevada, he's four. Uh, yeah, that's that's how bad this list is. Uh, Stephen Kwan is already fifth after one year. It has been, and there was that period where this team drafted Naquin and Pappy and Zimmer and Frazier, and we're just drafting that. Quentin Holmes was their first pick. Nothing but outfielders with, let's be honest, nothing to show for it. Uh, Na- you know, Naquin probably actually is fifth now all time on that list. I think he's still got a slight advantage of Kwan. Uh, but overall, it has been rough. The develop, you know, I, I remember getting very excited, like, oh, Ben Francisco, he's going to be the answer. And uh, we, we've been waiting for an answer at this position. So, of course, the answer ended up being the sixth round pick who everyone kind of judged as too undersized, who had a massive breakout in 2021 and then followed it up with, you know, wise beyond his years approach. And is Stephen Kwan the third most important hitter on this team going into next year? I'm debating between him and Andre Jimenez. Oh, who do you have higher? So you have Jimenez and Jose at one, two. 
Well, obviously Jose is number one. Yeah, I was yeah. saying between it's between. Uh, oh, so you're saying he could be two even? I mean, yeah, Jimenez. I'm saying two could be Jimenez or Quan. I think. Yeah, uh, yeah no, they're both important to the team next year. I, I just feel like there's more. I don't know. I, we talked about Jimenez, maybe some possible regression, maybe not, but uh, I don't know. I feel pretty. I feel pretty good about where Stephen Quan is headed. No, it's it was just from start to finish. You know, there were Sarah Langs had all the great stats at the start of the year about like how little he, you know, at, uh, you know I can't remember exactly like how many times it was before he had a you know a swinging strike. All the the data, it was a lot of fun to watch. He was honestly for those first two weeks maybe the most fun story in Cleveland. What were your what are your kind of thoughts takeaways? Obviously, he is the left field position for at least five more years. I think that's rather safe to say. I know some people want to move him to center field, but at the same time, you have such an elite talent there. Why, why go from elite to average? Yeah. I mean, I think there's no reason to move him over to center field. I don't, I mean, he played center field just fine in the minors. I definitely feel like he's, I don't know if you're good at that. If you're that good in a corner, like he is, I think he'll be fine in center field. Remember how, Michael Brandt came up as a center fielder and he eventually became a, a okay left fielder. And then he became less of an okay left fielder. I, Not really the same him, he had played some first base because of his defensive issues. He's kind of a, Oh, an interesting. Maybe it was style. maybe just cause it was his arm. I don't know. He was never a great center fielder. So moved to left field, but yeah, I, I would say there's no reason to move him out of left field. I mean, I understand everybody's <laughs> need want to, to bench mile straw or just, you know, lengthen the lineup a little bit, but um, definitely no guarantees that he ends up being that good in center field. And also you get a bit more, more of a breakdown in the body in center field too. I mean, look at, I don't know, Grady Sizemore. Kevin Kiermaier Kiermaier is never healthy. Yeah. There's just more of a breakdown in center field. So no, I would not risk that. Not with him. No, it was, like I said, it was definitely a, if you'd say a year for the ages, it was, uh, you know, I was going back and looking at comparatively. So Manny Ramirez in his first season, it was 1994. He only played 91 games, 120 runs created plus for him that year. Uh, Stephen Kwan this year, his runs created plus was a uh, 124. So he had a higher runs created plus. Uh, Ramirez's defensive run save data was pretty awful. So Ramirez is only worth 1.5 war. So Stephen Kwan actually had a better year than Manny Ramirez did as a rookie, one can argue. Now, if you want to go back to Kenny Lofton, man, Kenny Lofton in 1992, that's one of the all-time robbings. Um, yeah. You know, he he had a 5.8 war, 20.2 defensive runs saved. He walked more than he struck out. He walked, he stole 66 bases, had a uh, only a 108 runs created plus. Next year, it jumped to 125. Uh, it's, you know, it's kind of crazy. Uh, you know, I wish I had been smart enough to pull up Pat Listash's stats because I've done this before on the show. And it's just the ridiculousness of like how like people get mad at us sometimes as we get way into stats. But it's like how stats dumb baseball was in 91. By the way, Pat Listash, 3.4 war that year, 290 average, 352 on base, 349 slugging, a 101 runs created plus. So like Lofton was almost twice the player he was. And uh, he did steal 54 bases, but it's, uh, 
it's crazy. The Lofton did not get that rookie of the year. So, uh, Quan, best player outfielder to debut since Kenny Lofton is kind of long and short of it. That's how good he was. Um, I've kind of hogged the mic here. Do you have anything else you want to add in before we get into segment two and talk a little bit more about, you know, what we're thinking is going to occur next year? No, I, I was just pulling up some historical data on fan graphs too. I know, I know baseball reference is a better, um, historical database, but going by F4, um, Stephen Kwan's seventh best rookie season by uh, Cleveland baseball player going back to 1901. Um, ahead of him on the list are guys like Joe Sewell, Les Fleming, Hal Trosky. I'm going to get that right this time. Hal Trosky, Kenny Lofton, Al Rosen, and Joe Jackson. Guys he finished above, Larry Doby, uh, somebody named Francisco Lindor, Earl Averill, Joe Harris, Ray Chapman, Jody Garrett, who that's a rough one. Uh, I believe I, I'm a Jody Garrett truther. I was at least. It was a good rookie season. It was. I uh, I had a lot of faith in that one too. Max Alvis, um, Luke Easter at 16 with 3.1. Rocky Calavito's rookie year was a three win season. Luke Easter uh, was Roberto. like 32 at the time. <laughs> yeah, that was a big big drop off. Big interesting difference there. Yeah. Rocky Calavito, Roberto Perez, Ray Mack, and at number 20 was Joe Charbonneau at. Uh, mm-hmm. 2.4 F4. Uh, yeah, after that, it's it's an interesting list. I mean, you've got, you know, Von Hayes, Sandy Elmar, and Oscar Mercado is in the top 30 of best rookie years for a Cleveland baseball player. Um, Wayne Kirby at 30th at 2.1. So an eclectic list. Stephen Kwan. You mentioned Albert Ballard. I know that first year was, like, not full on, but I also don't think I heard his name, right? Like, his – because his – his rookie year is technically 89. So that's like, if you have, you know, if you have RBI baseball too, like I do, you know, just bragging a little here, uh, he appeared in that game. So that was always like the fun thing that you could actually play as Joey Bell in that game. But he appeared in in 62 games that year. I pulled it up. Uh, He was not very good in the game, but I mean, by the time I got that game was when the, you know, Cleveland was good. So I always had him start. I mean, Cleveland was terrible in that game anyways, but he had yeah, in 89 and 60 in 234 games, 0.1 war. And then 90, he, he barely so. plays. Yeah. Or 234 plate appearances. You're right. I think I said, yeah, games. It 62 games, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. And then you even go back like 91, 92, he's average. And then 93 at 26, like it took, again, this is just developmental curves are different for everyone. Even Albert Bell took like a good five years to get started. Yeah, that just tells you player development is never linear, but uh, didn't see this coming from Stephen Kwan for sure. I mean, I, even people who were excited about him and excited about his breakout last year, and I was, uh, no way you could have predicted this. And I don't know, it's just a quick, it's a quick meteoric jump. He went from, I remember in 2019, he was kind of a fourth, fifth outfielder type in Lynchburg, he was, it was, he was in high, he skipped low A and just a guy who put, put a lot of bat on the ball, played some good defense, could run a little bit, had some injury issues with the hamstring that were, were concerning, not much of an arm, just kind of, it just kind of felt like that's a fourth or fifth outfielder type, like a, a Tyler Holt, you know, like that's what it kind of felt like. And then uh, in, in the span of two years, he really transformed himself and really, that's, uh, that is Tyler Holt arguably greatest 10th round draft pick in guardians history to you. That's right. Hey, I, I, I have a soft spot in my heart for Tyler Holt. He uh, 
once ruined my phone in Lake County after they won the uh, Midwest League Championship. He uh, came over to the corner where the reporters were standing and he doused us all in champagne in my phone. Um, that was the end of that phone. I don't know. I, I think I've, I've, I've been <laughs> at the end of the day, you're probably annoyed. And especially because that's at that time. Uh, I mean, even now who can afford to replace a phone, but it's like, Hey, I got to be part of a championship celebration. That's kind of cool. I was not trying to get in. I was, I was just trying to stay out of the way in the corner and I was shooting video and it was grainy, grainy cell phone video at the time. Cause it was 2010. So I don't know what I had, but yeah, man, I think bad. I have I, somewhere. I don't think I ever like shared or posted it, but like I have my, like the video and pictures I took when, when Akron won the championship and I can't think what year that was. I just, I remember Jan Gomes was down there. Cause I, I just remember someone be like, uh, Brad Bornell, a uh, great dude over at the Akron Beacon Turtle being like, so are you going to want a championship ring? And Jan being like, yeah, I want my ring. Like <laughs> very Jan Gomesy moment. I'm trying to um, what year that was. I can't, you, you know, it's somewhere in the teens. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'd have to go look, but it'd be interesting to see like now who from that team is, is like oh the 2010 captains team don't look at that team it was bad uh tyler holt and roberto perez were like the only two guys in that team that really unless you want to count giovanni soto not the catcher anyway tyler uh steven kwan great season and uh out of nowhere and now he looks like a franchise cornerstone yeah oh what and it again you know as we said non-developed non-linear development when you look at that uh it was quite the you know a thing to check out to see uh is he going to be the best player from his college team it was him and nick madrigal right we're in that lineup no, together. well he was also he was wasn't he the same draft as adley rush adley rushman ah uh, yeah you're right okay never mind yeah. adley rushman's probably going to get him but hey they debuted the same year and uh they're probably going to finish in some order of rookie of the year which is cool yeah no. So uh, if you're curious, that championship team uh, for the Rubber Ducks was 2016. Uh, oh, so cool. good year for Jan Gomes. Yeah. Uh, made it back. Yeah. Yandy Diaz, Greg Allen, Eric Haas, Percy Gardner, oh, Eric Julian Haas. Merriweather, Sean Morimondo, who you and I were talking about stats from uh, Korea about just the other day, uh, Bradley Zimmer, you know, Cole Solster, Craig Stamen. Eric Stamets. So yeah, actually quite a few future major leaguers. I guess maybe I should go dig out those videos and see what I have fun in them. But let's Bradley take our Zero. break. <laughs> let's, yeah, let's, let's take our break and come back. Uh, and kind of, I, I think you and I want to settle into some comps on Stephen Kwan and then maybe talk some prospects in segment three. We really, we spent, I don't know, what time is it now? We spent a good 30 to 40 minutes digging up comps. So you're going to want to stick around for that on today's Locked On Guardians and, you know, listen, these sponsors are our lifeblood. They keep us going. By now, you should know, if you're listening from the start, that our sponsor today, let me get the banner up, our good friends over at Battle Online. And I've talked about this before as well. Listen, even if you don't know about lines and points and all of that stuff, Battle Online's a great resource. If you want to find out who's going to go first, if you want to see just what the odds are of what player signing in free agency I, there's so many great resources, even if the betting part of it isn't the part for you. You can go there and, like I said, you'll see the odds of where players are going to land. That's all based on, you know, the information that goes on the inside. If you want to be an insider, head over to Bet Online, check it out for yourself. It is, uh, 
Sorry, everyone. Uh, I had a massive Zoom issue there. Uh, BetOnline is your number one source for football betting and the start of the new basketball season. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Be an insider. Go to BetOnline.com. BetOnline, where the game starts. Okay. Now that we are back, uh, so we had a hard time. Let's just be honest. Comps are hard uh, because he is... Like I pulled up the all-time strikeout list and his strikeout percentage this past year put him like uh, around players from a long time ago. Like his strikeout percentage is so low. And then you try to find a match with his walk percentage. Because for a long time, like walks weren't a bad thing, but they weren't a good thing. So players weren't encouraged to walk. And it is it is hard to find good comparisons looking. We, we had different approaches. Like I went through batting champions, which made me realize that Freddie Sanchez had been a batting champion and just kind of blew my mind for a second. Uh, I know you were looking at like walk percentages and um, some of the swinging strike, strike stuff. Do you want to lead us off since I hogged the mic in segment one? Uh, yeah, that's fine. It's uh, it's a tough one to really come back with. I mean, just some of the names. You, you went back and did more historical than I did because – I don't know. I feel like comparing these eras are tough, but because the baseball is so different from now when it was even 10 years ago. So when I, when I'm, when I'm filtering through things on stats and just looking at different kind of um, numbers and comparisons, like I usually will go back to like 2010. That's about as far as I go back because before that baseball was such a different game and, and compared to now. So it's like almost not fair. I feel like to, to compare that kind of stuff, but, um, Quan, I think, requires it because he's a different player. He's done a lot of different things that don't really compete with the last 10 years of 10 or 12 years of baseball. So you do have to almost go back to um, different eras to, to, to look at him. So even, even not going back that far, I mean, we talked about Kenny Lofton as one in the 90s. Um, you know, he struck out a little bit. <coughs> his career went on and obviously i don't think lofton i don't think Quan has lofton speed also yeah. lofton was an elite center fielder so there's not that's not there um better athlete like i mean Quan runs well i know what people be who are going to get mad they're be like hey Quan runs well he does run well but kenny flipping lofton was like 70 yeah. 80 grade. you know it's like Quan is like a Quan's like a 60 like i think he's a plus runner you know 55 maybe but i i you know i think he's smart so he's closer to a 60 runner but he's not Lofton. He's not that seventy grade guy. No, for sure. That the running, the runs not there, and and also Lofton was in, like so. He said elite center fielder, and Lofton was also a two sport athlete too. Remember that, so that's why. Yeah, he point was... guard at Arizona. I'm gonna get in trouble for not knowing which zona. No, you're but right. It's Arizona. Okay. Yeah, he was a point guard uh, first. He was a basketball player. I mean, he only started. Did he not play? baseball until he got to college like wasn't it one of those crazy stories like he had not really played he didn't play any high school or something you know it was just yeah i can't remember he was i mean he was just fantastic so hard to say um anyway lofton's a good one mike kept coming back to adam eaton adam eaton struck out a lot more than stephen kwan has um, they had similar swing strike rates uh adam eaton's rookie year <laughs> was in the four it was in the four four percent five percent era um, the biggest thing when you look through comps for him statistically, um, most of the guys who strike out as little as he does tend to not walk also. Cause like you said, 
Um, guys just weren't encouraged to walk back then. It was just put the ball in play. Um, so combining a 9% strikeout rate with a 9% walk rate is rare. Like I remember we looked at Tony Gwynn. Tony Gwynn had a 9% strikeout rate, but he also had like a 5% walk rate. It's just. No, he was nine. He was like. It was. I, I, uh, I might be just looking for years. Uh, as I say, overall, he was like seven and five. or so, It was like over his career. Uh, you know, if I'm going to throw out one, the one that I kind of liked. And it's not perfect because it's an eight percent walk and a six and a half, or no, uh, that's postseason. It was a six and a half uh, walk in a eight point eight K, but it, just an interesting player in terms of like hitting profile and size is is Kurt Flood. Uh, again, this is you know if you don't know him, he played in fifty eight through seventy one, and I want to say he is the author of one of my favorite uh, all time quotes about the All Star Game, which is. If I'm not starting, I'm not departing. Uh, is I want to say that was Kurt Flood who said that. Uh, now I want to make sure I better go and check that out. Now he was also a center fielder. He was not a uh, you know a corner guy, but you know just in terms of like uh, runs created plus uh, in that era and some of the other things, not high um, walk rates, strong defense stuff. He's and again they're both five nine. Uh, Quan's a little bit bigger, honestly, but. I, I liked, I, you know, throwing one out there, he passed away in 1997. So he, he wasn't even alive uh, in your window of play. Final year was 1971. But yep. uh, when I was just kind of digging into some guys, that was a fun one that popped. And then a non-positional comp, uh, Bill Mueller, who was, you know, with Boston and San Francisco has some interesting data, second and thir- third baseman with Boston, I want to say, but he, you know, he had like the 11% walk, 11% K rate. And, you know, similar offensive uh, profile. So that was one of the guys I dug up. And then Johnny Damon was kind of a common comparison point, I feel like. Yeah, Johnny Damon was a, was a good one. Um, Johnny Damon had a lot more power in his career. I don't know that yeah. I don't know Juan will ever approach his power. And um, He's got a Damon. very low launch angle. I, people keep telling me he's going to grow into power. I just like his swing is not is specifically not set for power. I think he will. I mean, you saw it in the second. I'm not. Let's be real. Okay, power. He's going to grow into power for his frame. He's not going to grow into power, in what we say traditionally. He had six home runs this year. I think we're talking about a guy who. I think in a good year he has. You know, at peak, we're talking eleven, twelve. See, I'm thinking fifteen is like the high end for him. Yeah, eleven, twelve in a good year is what I would think for him. but I got yeah. people telling me he's going to get to 20 and I'm like, I don't no. see that. Occurring. Well, because everybody like, looks at Jose Ramirez and him doing that. But and Jose Ramirez Jose... has that, you know, he's got a violent swing. Quan's is me- like, that's the thing. Like, go, like lo- yeah. I think isn't Quan might've had the lowest launch angle of any hitter on the team this year. Yeah. And, and Jose grew into that too, very quickly actually after his rookie year. But, um, and maybe Quan will too at the same time. Quan, I mean, there are, the, the similarity is probably this. It's probably that where Jose learned to hit for power was that he could pull. Walter, well, yeah, Wanderi, but he could if pull. You wanted, the story is that people say. Go ahead. Sorry. Um, he could he pull. Learned, he, yeah, he learned that he could pull pitches on the inside corner over right field. And that's what Quan did last year. That's where Quan started to do. Um, I don't, I don't know that he's ever going to be that kind of player, but we'll see. I like, I would, I would think 15 still. And, you know, people were like, oh, well, Jose never projected for power. Lindor never projected for power. 
And I, I wanted to say that the ball had something to do with that early on for them. But obviously, and Jose Lind- has kept it up over the years. And Lindor had that prodigious power display um, at Safeco Field, which made the Mariners almost draft him. Like, that was one of those great, like, there was a lot of talk about just, you know, how well he hit, that they were really considering him. Uh, and then they ended up, you know, D- Danny Holtzen, uh, another cursed Virginia guy. But, like, he had shown it in batting practice. I mean, no one expected 40. Anyone who says he was going to go for 40 is 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 nutso. Uh, and I'm looking, Stephen Kwan's launch angle, I'm wrong. Just, you know, since I, I people say I sometimes give myself too much credit, his launch angle was slightly higher than Andres Jimenez's this year. Uh, it's higher than Josh Naylor's, Owen Miller's. Uh, lowest launch angle on the team of an everyday player was Ahmed Rosario. Second lowest, Oscar Gonzalez. That doesn't shock me. That doesn't shock me either for any of that. So just to give that. So yeah, I, I was wrong. That that leads me to believe, yeah, maybe 15 can happen. 11.8 isn't bad. For some reason, I thought his launch angle was much, much lower. Now he doesn't barrel things and his exit velocities are poor. So he's not really hitting like bottom 3%, bottom 1% in those things. Uh, for everything he does well, he just, he does not make hard contact. Yeah. So if he can start barreling it, like I don't know if it's something about his swing, but he only had seven barrels this entire year. He's bottom 1% of the league and barrel percentage. So if he starts barreling, that's the funny thing. Like he had this great year and he actually was not hitting the good part of the bat most of the year. Yeah. I would, I would say some other comps too. I came up with was Adam Eaton of the white Sox. I know not a lot of people always like him, but uh, you know, a guy who had 15 home runs would steal 15 bases, had a six win season in 2016. He hit 14, hit 14 homers, stole 14 bases, um, struck out more than Quan does, walked at a similar rate, um, and a fantastic defender. Who I think did he play a lot of center field for them? Did he play left field? I think he was more left field. I could be wrong. I'll, I'll pull that up. I got my fan grasp. Uh, no, 20, 2016, he was uh, a right fielder. Sorry, I don't know what positional trans. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, he was never a long a long term center fielder. He did not play. He had two seasons where he played center field quite a bit, and. Um, one year he was good. The next year he was not so good. So I guess the jury's out on that. And, that, and that's the, the Lucas Giolito, Ronaldo Lopez, Dane Dunning deal. From Washington. Yeah. 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 Uh, other, other comps I liked a lot less for Stephen Kwan, but I think are, that makes sense. Our Denard Span thought that was a good one. Um, Denard Span had a pretty nice career. Um, 347 career on base. Um, had a couple of four and three win seasons, but didn't have a rookie year like Stephen Kwan. And then Brett Gardner, I think, has been a comp, but I think Brett Gardner struck out a lot more because he took a lot of called third strikes, and he ended up hitting. You know, Brett Gardner ended up hitting, being a 2020 guy. I don't know how much of that had to do with Yankee Stadium, but uh, he ended up being a 2020 guy some years, and he played some really good defense. So um, I don't think Quan will ever strike out as much as Brett Gardner did because Brett Gardner got into the 17s and the 20s. Um, That's what makes it so hard. It's like I was looking up, like, AJ Pollock, David Peralta. It's like all those guys strike out more than you expect. Right. Yeah. That's like I said, that's the hard part because all the guys that you look no, statistically at. Oh, go ahead. All the guys you look up statistically that, that struck out as little as Quan um, also walked very infrequently. It's just guys put the ball in play. They didn't strike out. They also didn't walk. Quan doesn't strike out, but he also walks. So. It's yeah, a, like it's a very Juan Pierre was a name I went and looked up, and it's like, oh, his walk and strikeout percentage was five percent. So, 
it's like it doesn't right. work. and you know it, obviously a different speed thing but yeah it's he's you know we we often obsess about the unicorns like oscar gonzalez and tristan mckenzie and daniel Espino, who are kind of physical freaks uh stephen kwan might be a unicorn as well yeah so why don't we take our next break here and we can come back and talk about potential left fielders we're not going to get into all of them because we want to save a few guys to talk about for right field maybe looking at the outfielders who have the weaker arms as we're discussing prospect wise in today's system uh so stick around for segment three you want that deep prospect nerd talk it's coming your way on today's locked on guardians okay and we're back do you want to lead us off uh we actually uh didn't we you know we've had so many talks beforehand we didn't actually talk about the which outfielders we're going to talk about so i'm kind of exciting to see uh which way you lean who do you want to to start uh discussing well i think we're pretty it's pretty clear that left field is settled right like there's no reason to think yeah you have to worry about kwan i think uh we have future left fielders in the minors for sure that could play there but i mean they'll have to move i mean i i would assume you're just set on Quan for the next several years. So we didn't talk about contract either. Oh, so should we do maybe, okay, why don't we do contract and then maybe do like one deep sleeper? Like who could be the heir apparent? Uh, if <laughs> something happens, like who is the guy who could be, you know, a backup, you know, could, you know, they do kind they do a short, long development. Like they, they were pushing pitchers all the way up, but Hey, you know, Logan Allen's still not going to be added before he needs to be added to the 40 man in spite of like that rushed move. So it's kind of interesting to see how they've done it. So uh, no one moves super, super quick. So let's let's talk contract. Uh, We've talked about before. We think it makes a lot of sense to consider an extension with him. It is interesting that players aren't taking as many extensions anymore as they used to unless they play for the Atlanta Braves, in which case they will take a terrible extension. But do you want to lead off? We, We got the two candidates, I think for extension talk. There's a couple. I mean, for, first off, would you, where, where does Quan rank on your off season priority for extensions? I mean, let's, let, let's assume, let's assume Shane Bieber is not a possibility. Cause I think we know that's, that's kind of, that's, that ship has sailed. So where, where does Quan rank on your priority to get extensions done going into this off season? Third, because you have a little more time with him. You know, it's McKenzie and Jimenez are one, two, um, probably in that, in that order for me. And then next up is Quan. I would agree because Jimenez is going to hit our next next year. And, and with Beavers impending free agency and when McKenzie will hit um, Arb, I think you want to get somebody locked up. So I agree. Three, um, the contracts, the first one you brought up a couple days ago, I think makes a lot of sense for the current current uh prices and and i know it's a bad contract because it's a brave but this is not i don't know if it's a bad contract i don't think it's that bad of a contract Uh, yeah michael michael harris got eight years 72 million so an average of nine per with uh two club options in age 30 31 which i think is important just to throw interrupt you again uh because if you look at the class a and straw extensions both of those had two extensions uh, team option years at the end, much like Harris's, which is the other reason to kind of like that comp because that's also how Cleveland set up their extensions last year. Yeah. Michael Brantley was another interesting one. I don't think that's going to happen just because Brantley uh, hadn't he been... signed that contract when he was like 
a little bit younger and he was he coming been, off of yeah was, I, I mean his last three years before he signed that contract if you combine those wars they don't equal what Quan did this past year he just hadn't been that good i mean he had a massive breakout at age 27 um before that he had been kind of an average player and you know, Cleveland uh, got him at the right time because oh, yeah. in 2014, I mean, that, that was the that was the year he won Silver Slugger was 2014. So they got him that deal in spring training or right before the opening day. Yeah. So they caught him at the exact right time. Oh, so I don't think was... you'll get. Yeah. Yeah. The other one is Kevin Kiermeyer, who got six years, 53, got a club option at the end as well for this year actually coming up. Um, so probably, I don't know, six, I think six years would be good for Quan, but I think they're going to want seven because – He's 24, so you're going to want some security for him going into his 30s. So I would probably say like something like, I don't know, seven, seven and seventy, maybe seven Harris, and, and, and sixty. Harris was what eight eighty two. Yeah, he also signed that at at age 22, so he could yeah. get free agency at age 30. That's where I'm kind of like, I almost feel like it's seven at 75 or seven at 77 like because those last few years are gonna you're gonna end up probably having to offer like the last you know the last option year is probably going to be between 15 to 18 the second one is probably like 12 to 15 and then you know you're immediately paying him a little bit you know he he gets like a signing bonus or something off the start because you know i i that's something i should pull up i you know he he was not a big bonus guy for sure. So, you know, I could see the, also the advantage of it for him is uh, getting the signing. Yeah. He got, I mean, 700 K is don't get me wrong as a teacher that would take me. Um, you know, yeah. Eight right. To 10, 10 plus years, you know, to get there approaching 15 years. Uh, so it's, it's a solid chunk of change, but he, he hasn't had that uh, life changing kind of payday yeah. yet. So there's something where you could probably look at something like, I don't know, like I said, seven seventy five strikes me where like five million dollar signing bonus and then the rest is kind of like that average of ten million per year for seven years, which for his production is a steal. Yeah. So yeah, I would say yeah, third priority. We're talking something the seven sevens and in the sixty or seventy range for sure. Left field, um, as far as future. I mean, we've seen Richie Palacios out there a little bit. That seems to be where his future lies, but I don't know if he has a future here, given his age. He's actually older than Stephen Kwan. Yeah. And um, I had imagined he'll probably end up getting moved, to be honest with you. I don't I There's not a lot of guys in the system I feel like profile as left fielders necessarily um, just because I'm kind of surprised. Arm. I thought there was I, – I, I expected this to be the chance to talk about Churio maybe. I, I Well, it's hard to say. We haven't really seen him outside of like some random videos. Yeah. Um, a lot of people think he can play center so far. We'll find out next year, hopefully, or the next two years. Maybe some of the guys from this year's draft, like a, a Joe Lampy or a guy Lipscomb, I think, you know, potentially could be left fielders. Uh, Nate Furman, if you ever want to move him to the outfield, I don't know. He could be a I guy mean, that. The Lauder as well. You know, it could be. Yeah. How's, I don't know. How, how's the Lauder's arm? Like, does it play better in right I, field? I thought, from No. From what I understood, like one of the the negs on him was that I could be completely wrong on this, but I feel like I saw a few people during the draft season who said that he was like a future left fielder. Now watch me be completely wrong. I don't know. I, I can go look at uh, 
I mean, they give him a 60 arm on, uh, on the MLB thing for what it's worth. But yeah, I, I, there was some debate where he'd end up in left field or right field. There's a lot of people yeah. didn't trust him in center. Yeah, I think the report on him is, is his arm is supposed to be okay. I guess we'll see. Yeah, not center field. Definitely a corner. Um, yeah, I was like the, the arm is there for right field for sure. Looks like he was a former pitcher. He was a two-way player. Mm. Got into the low to mid-90s. So I would assume the arm for right field. There, so. <laughs> yeah, left maybe, field, I, I don't know. I mean, Jonathan Maybe Rodriguez Isaiah has, Green, if you want to go. Um, yeah, Green for sure. Left field, because his bat's not going to profile and right, although it doesn't, no. doesn't really profile in a corner. He's got enough speed to play center. Jorge Burgos, but, you know, that's definitely, he's definitely a left fielder. Uh, I just don't know how much confidence I have in the bat. Um, Jonathan Rodriguez, to me, like – has a better arm than a left fielder normally has, but defensively he is, it's pretty rough uh, defensively outside of the arm. So I guess we'll see how that goes. And I know, again, we're not going in depth here because the past, present and future of this thing, it's like, he's there for the next five years, like barring catastrophic. um, That's why I said Lipscomb or, or Lampy, or even if you move Nate Furman to the outfield, like that's yeah. The the uh, the current replacement for him in five years is going to be in next year's draft class. Uh, that's right. that's essentially it's it's look at it that way. Uh, let's you know we we went long again. We we had a, a planned backup segment. We don't need. I don't know why we keep planning backup segments. <laughs> we just should figure out that no matter what we do, we're going forty minutes. Uh, I want to thank everyone for listening, reading, and reviewing, downloading daily. It helps today's YouTube. Uh, follower count I will be pulling up. I know I should have had that pre-prepared, but uh, we are up to 833. So, you know, keep piling that number on. Uh, Thank you all for all you do and for the daily amount. A lot of teams struggle in the off season and I appreciate all of you fans and listeners who are still giving us a hundred views, 200 plus views a day, I should say on YouTube. So thank you all. And the way I end every show and now we end every show Go, go, Guardian.